Welcome to the Let's Talk International Education podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Benny, founder of Top Schools. We're here for you, whether you're a parent, grandparent, a teacher, as long as you're interested in education, you're in the right place. We work hard to bring relevant, up-to-date and possibly controversial information on all things related to education. In this first season, we've invited education leaders from around the world, as well as parents just like you and I. We're pleased you found us. Don't forget to subscribe. And here's today's episode. All right, Steve. So could I just ask you to um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. I mean, I was sort of born and brought up in the UK, but I've lived overseas for a large portion of my life for 32 years, I think, in total. So I've um, worked mostly in the Middle East, um, in Bahrain, on two different occasions with the same school. And I've worked in Hong Kong, both in ESF from 2003 to 2006. And then I was the founding head of Sixth Form at Kellett School from 2013. Um, and I returned to the UK in 2022. So really, most of my career has been sort of advising families about UK university entry at every level. Were the schools that you worked at in Bahrain, were they British schools? They were very, yeah, British international schools, so A-level school. Um, um, I introduced IB as well alongside A-level um, on my second visit there. So we we had a very small IB programme, actually, but predominantly an A-level programme as well. So um, it was a non-selective school, but very high achieving, generally speaking, because of the nature of the families and the nature of the students. Um, and again, most, the vast majority went to UK universities. So the question that a lot of people ask, um, which is not on the list, you know, what is the what are the considerations for parents and children when considering A-levels or IB diploma? Yeah, I mean, it's a very different, difficult thing to answer because they, you can't really compare IB and A-level. They're so different. Um, it's really about the individual interests of the student. So if a student's ready to narrow down to three or sometimes four subjects, then A-level is a really good choice because it's a gold standard worldwide, whereas IB provides a broader education where students obviously have to do maths, their first language, a second language, and so on. And that isn't for everyone, really. So it's very much looking at the strengths of that individual student and how they want to develop. Um, I I would say IB is more intensive than A-level. it's a good preparation for university in that sense. Um, but as I said, it isn't for everyone. And, you know, they both have equal currency when applying to university in the UK. And that leads me to then ask about, you know, IB diploma converting to UCAS points, but not only IB diploma. Yeah. I mean, we've got Ontario secondary school diploma. Yeah. We have um, high school diploma, US, you know, AP plus mm-hmm. SATs. How, how do all of these different secondary school curricula convert to UCAS points? Yeah, I mean, the UCAS points is an interesting one because not every university uses UCAS points. In fact, there are better known universities in the UK don't they would generally give an offer in terms of A-level grades like AAB or IB points like 36. Um, So really the mid-range universities would um, tend to take UCAS points into account. Um, And IB certainly converts very favourably onto the UCAS scale, Um, but it it very much depends on what universities the student's applying to. But going for the more selective, I would say that the top 50 selective universities um, they're far more likely to look for individual scores in IB or A-level or AP or on the Ontario system and so on. Mm. And, and so 
parents shouldn't be afraid, you know, of of using an Ontario secondary school diploma or a diploma of secondary education from Hong Kong school directly to apply to a UK university. Oh, no, no, definitely not. I mean, UK universities have, have large international offices and they're very, very familiar with every qualification system worldwide. And, and most of you can find that information on the university website. But if not, it's easily possible to contact someone who can talk about um, mm-hmm. that conversion and DSE particular because of its level of rigour is very, very highly thought of um, as is IB, obviously, and A-level because mm-hmm. they're very much international currency qualifications. So I didn't know that, that like you say, the top like 50. So Warwick, for example, I mean, St Andrews, yeah, do they Warwick, not put UCAS no. points? No, always grades. No, so a typical offer from Warwick would probably be A star A. Um, St Andrews has just come out as number one in the Guardian rankings. So their offers are likely to be A star A, A at A level or 38 or even 40 IB points. Mm. So you, you certainly wouldn't find in many of the Russell groups, if any of the Russell group universities, that you would have an offer in UCAS points. So are they looking at only A-level grades, or are they looking at A-level grades plus um, whatever, like EPQ or whatever else the children, it's it's a well-rounded application? Yeah, I mean, I would always, the, the two ways I always look at it and say a strong, appropriate academic profile and an irresistible personal profile. So there are two things that go hand in hand there. One is a, an academic profile that's best suited to that student's strengths. But of course, you know, if the applications are done correctly, then every student applying for that course will have a similar level of academic attainment. So the irresistible personal profile, the stuff they do around the curriculum, is vitally important to make them stand out. So the things they do outside school, perhaps online courses, um, what volunteer work have they done? What are they into in terms of their dramatic, artistic and sporting pursuits? So it's much more holistic than that. But, but at the very top end in the UK, Oxbridge, um, Imperial, UCL, LSE and so on, the grades are the thing. And external testing, of course, many universities now are starting to do additional tests and interviews as well. Mm. Tough, tough being a teenager today. Yeah, yeah, and it's getting tougher because of the numbers. You know, the application numbers are increasing. So it's getting increasingly competitive at every level, essentially. So, you know, having that small margin, something that can make a little bit of a difference in your application is really, really important. Which brings me to probably, you know, what is the benefit of having a one-to-one guidance counsellor such as yourself? Yeah, I mean, the key thing is it because it helps the, to demystify the whole process. I mean, it, it's great working with schools and schools have excellent counsellors, um, but there are only so many of them per student uh, in the body. Sorry, so many. I'll say that again. I'll just get that the wrong way around. There are only so many counsellors in an organisation to deal with many students. So working with a consultant gives a one to one opportunity to get to get to know that student inside out um, academically and personally. So then it's possible to really tailor their application to exactly the right set of universities where they're most likely to make a successful application. Mm. Is it it the case that um, schools will limit the number of applications that each student can make? So each application really counts, doesn't it? Yes, some schools do that. Um, Certainly for UCAS, for applying to the UK, then on the UCAS um, online system called um, the application system, the maximum choice number is five, unless mm. it's a medical, veterinary or dentistry course. And then the number is four for that course. So that's limited by the system anyway. Mm. So you've got a system called Unifrog. What is Unifrog? Um, Unifrog is a platform, if you work with us, that you have direct access to through a login. 
And Unifrog provides a sort of a one-stop shop for everything related to university applications worldwide. So um, it includes links to exactly what those university courses offer. It allows tools for building a personal statement. Um, it has careers tools in there. It has personality tools. And everything can reside in Unifrog. So the student can build up their whole academic and personal profile in Unifrog throughout their first year of A-level or IB or DSE. And by the end of that year, then they're ready just to literally pull that material out because they can record everything they've done in terms of their academic and personal profile. So it just makes sure you've got everything in one repository, all the information that you create and all the information that every university puts in there. So it's worldwide, not just the UK, it has Hong Kong in there, it has Australia. Canada, a separate Oxbridge section. So it's literally just a one-stop shop for all things university. So that's the next question, really. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. most of the schools have an in-house um, university mm-hmm. guidance counsellor, if not several. Yeah. Um, so again, what's the, the advantage of, of really having that one-to-one um, guidance? Yes, yeah, so having university councils in schools is great, but they have a caseload. You know, so one counsellor might be working with 20, 30, 40 students. And I think the the advantage of working with a consultant is that one-to-one approach in that you get a really forensic look into their academic and personal profile. And, you know, the counsellor can then or the consultant can encourage them in a certain direction, saying you need to do this extra course or perhaps you need to do this next summer. Um, here are the open days I recommend. So it's it's much more having a point of contact every few weeks, if not more, as opposed to just a slot in a counsellor's schedule. Mm. So it's, it's, it's again, um, the fine margins, you know, getting into universities worldwide now is much more competitive than it used to be. So it's having that little advantage that's just going to elevate your application into the next mm. sort of tier. And, and if it's anything like um, schools, admissions, which is what we focus mm. on, you know, parents, children, they just might not know what that marginal advantage is they might have it you know they might have something that would give them that edge but they might not know to really highlight that is is that the case with universities yeah definitely so I think it's demystifying the whole thing and and looking at what universities actually want from an applicant Um, some students think that that, you know it's just a list of the more things I do the better but it's much more targeted than that and they need to know what they need to do not how much they need to do really so can you give us an example of a few students so you've really understood and been able to present their irresistible personal profile? What was it that made the difference? Yeah, I mean, I think EPQ, the extended project or the IB extended essay could make a big difference, but it doesn't have to be those things. So, for example, you know, if you have a student applying to, say, English literature at Oxford, then if that student's done something outside their thought curriculum and written their own play or something like that, then it really gives a a huge advantage to them because it shows that they can work independently. So quite often what I would do is say, look, find something that you, your passion project, really, something you're really into. You don't have to do a formal qualification. It could just be an online course or it could be something you just like doing. But, you know, make a big deal of that in your application and say, look, this is me. This is my personal story. And this is what I'll bring to your university. So it's difficult to give examples, really, because, the, you know, every kid is different and you know, sometimes in schools where there is a counsellor workload, then it's it's very difficult to tease that sort of individuality out just because of the time factor. And so it would be a case, unless the student really volunteers that information, that the counsellor might not just not even know about yeah. that. 
Yeah, and some schools are excellent at, at doing that, you know, and but it just depends on individuals. And mm-hmm. I, I think working with a consultant really enables that one-to-one relationship to develop, really. You know, I'm working with a girl at the moment who's applying for visual arts, and she, she had a portfolio that she put together, but she didn't really understand how to meet the needs of the foundation course she's applying for. So we're working with her on putting that portfolio together to actually be specific and developmental. Does it make a difference, do you think, how long a child has been in their secondary school? So say, for example, children who are switching into sixth form, do you think they have a slight disadvantage to access the um, in-house counsellor's expertise? Yeah, I mean, in in many ways, it depends on how forward that student is in terms of pushing themselves a little bit. I mean, inevitably, if you're starting in sixth form, it's going to take probably the first half term for the counsellors, the tutors to actually get to know you well anyway. So, I mean, I would hesitate to say disadvantage, but, you know, it's certainly much easier for a student who's been there for a long time because everyone knows her or him. Um, You know, they'll know the counsellor. And often when there's a big staff turnover in schools, that's a big deal as well. And then you lose those personal relationships a little bit. So, so the short answer is, yeah, it does, it does take a little more time for a student in that position. So when is the right time for, for parents or the, the young person themselves to seek um, your, your advice? Yeah, for, for me, it would be at the end of GCSEs or even before the end of GCSEs or year 11. So choosing the right subjects for the two sixth form years, no matter which curriculum is the starting point, I mean, some courses like medicine have prerequisites, like biology and chemistry, for example. Um, some students don't understand that economics is it's basically essential to have maths at a higher or A level. So making those sort of wrong choices at the early stage can actually close many doors. So given a preference, I would like to work with a student for two years from the beginning of their sixth form education, if not a bit earlier, right through to the day they actually start their university. Mm. So year 11 or potentially the beginning of year 12. What if parents are thinking, oh, my child's like well into year 12 or Mm. year 13? Is it too late to seek your support? Uh, No, it's not too late. It just becomes more intense. You know, so so working with that student because, you know, you've got to do things an awful lot more quickly. You need to meet more frequently. It becomes high pressure for the student. Um, Certainly as they get to the end of year 12, then they've got end of year exams, then They've got summer, then suddenly year 13 descends upon them and they, they're very short on time. So the best time to do that is really slowly throughout year 12. And by the end of year 12, they have everything ready and they just need to literally put it into the application system. A couple more questions, uh, more related yeah. to Hong Kong applications. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, Steve, you worked in Hong Kong for over 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything that you notice particularly about Hong Kong students applying to UK universities or how do UK universities perceive Hong Kong students in general? I mean, Hong Kong students are in huge demand in the UK for for two reasons. One is they generally have a background in English and they speak and write perfect academic English in many cases. And and secondly, they're, they're known throughout the UK university system as having a fantastic work ethic. They take their studies very seriously. I mean, I live in a town in the north, a university town called Durham, and there are so many Hong Kong students that I see around Durham all the time. The freshers have just started back now. Um, so really, Hong Kong students who have good academics and an irresistible personal profile are really perfectly placed because of their level of English language and because of their work ethic. 
do the Hong Kong students need to take um, a language proficiency exam? Um, generally speaking, yes. Um, they'll need to do something like IELTS or TOEFL, but um, it's not necessarily the university requirement. It's more for the student visa. Some universities do require and some will administer it, but it's much more about the tier four student visa. So even a child who's graduating from a fully international school in Hong Kong would would be required to take that for the visa purpose? It it depends what passport they have. If they have a British passport, then generally no, although there are some exceptions. Um, If they have a non-British passport post-Brexit and everything else, then the answer is maybe yes. I also can give a good example of a boy who had a Swiss passport um, who went to King's College London and he didn't do that test. Um, and we assumed that that would be okay because he'd been educated in English his whole life, but it wasn't okay. Fortunately, he was able to do it at the last minute, and he's at King's College now. But the English language thing is something that needs to be investigated and thought about really, really early. So why was he required to do it? Because he's not... Um, just because that, that particular university, King's, and the University of London, of London generally, mm-hmm. have a more rigorous requirement, which is non-negotiable. So if you didn't have a British passport, even if your first language is English and you're educated in English your whole life, then you still needed the test. It was probably a Brexit thing, just to, to make sure they didn't fall foul of government regulations. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so UK, so Hong Kong students um, are in demand by UK universities, which I think is probably at odds with, with what a lot of parents are thinking. A, a lot mm-hmm. of Hong Kong parents that I speak to um, mm-hmm. are suggesting that their children, because they're um, Hong, from Hong Kong, they're going to actually have to work harder or get better grades than their counterparts from, from other countries. That's not true, no? That, that's not true. Um, I mean, another thing that overseas students in general have to their advantage is they're paying overseas fees. Um, so generally, apart from the very, very top end, the top five, um, you know, then the, the grade requirements are a little bit less sometimes. And certainly the applications are, I mean, I couldn't say this officially, but are treated more favorably because of that element as well. But that doesn't apply, as I said, to the very top end. But, um, you know, by top end, I mean top five, top six, top top seven, really. So what are the top five unis in Hong Kong? Are uh, they well, I mean, yeah, well, the G5 are sort of self-styled. So that's Oxford, Cambridge, LSE, UCL and Imperial. Um, so that's now sort of rebranded itself as the G5 group. But St. Andrews was number one in the Guardian rankings. Um, Durham's always very high. Um, Bath was the number one university in the Times. Um, Lots of Hong Kong students in Bath. It's just up the road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Exeter's very popular. Warwick's very popular. You know, so uh, Hong Kong students generally focus on, in my experience, on the relatively small campus universities attached to beautiful cities. And then the one exception to that is Manchester. Many, many, many Hong Kong students head to Manchester because it's a great university in a vibrant... Um, we talked about overseas students. Um, we also work with with quite a lot of um, international families in Hong Kong. I mean, they're, they're so interesting, you know, especially when yeah. two parents come together with different backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how, how do we um, advise those families with children that do have a British passport? Is there anything interesting mm-hmm. or different that they might have to consider as opposed to overseas yeah students. i mean certainly it, it, it might be the case that they they are entitled to uk fee status which is significantly cheaper so it's generally nine to fifty um pounds per year um a typical humanities course say in history would be more like eighteen thousand, so double that 
um, engineering or medicine would be 35, 38, 40,000 pounds a year. Um, there are a few criteria that need to be met. One is a British passport, ideally for both parents, but sometimes just one. Um, a home, a house that you own in the UK or a home that can be rented out and thirdly a temporary contract. But um, each university makes its own decision. So um, what people would need to do is come and present their circumstances. And I can say, you know, these are the things you maybe should be doing. But each university makes its own decision. So if you apply to five, three might say yes, UK status and two might say no, international status. And if you have a, a no um mm-hmm. this this candidate is considered to be an overseas um can mm-hmm. you appeal that you can appeal but it doesn't usually make any difference i've had a few appeals be successful um the, the overall sort of overriding factor is where you're ordinarily resident mm-hmm. you know so and is, really the, is the child only yeah is the child only educated overseas due to the temporary employment of the parent mm-hmm. so it's really important to get that strong application in what did you say? So I've got you had some you had some descriptive words for the application itself. Strong, St- strong, appropriate academic profile, and yeah. irresistible personal profile. So, words of advice to to parents um, mm-hmm. of you know children who are rising, you know, year elevens, year twelves. Yeah, start early. Um, don't assume that all you need to think about is your academic subjects. You need to have one eye on the end point, which is university entrance, the minute you start sixth form. So everything you do in sixth form should culminate in that perfect university application in year 13, ready to start university one year later. So it's those two things, the irresistible personal profile and the strong appropriate academic profile. Brilliant. Cheers. See you All later. Right, cheers, Bye. Steve. Have a good rest of the day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Hong Kong education system and parenting and education news and trends, check out our back catalogue, all available to download for free. You can also head over to our YouTube, Facebook or website for lots of free useful information for parents and educators. Links in the show notes. Until next time.